This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. The, uh, the e-reader has really become a thing uh, in our world. Uh, maybe you have an Amazon Kindle or you have an iPad or a Barnes & Noble Nook or some other knockoff uh, e-reader. For those of you who may not know what an e-reader is, it's a, it's a device that uh, you can use and, and from the internet you can purchase and download books instantaneously. So... Uh, once again, we have what we want right away. <laughs> uh, there was an article not too terribly long ago in the Atlantic that was uh, just interestingly documenting the most highlighted passages in various uh, best-selling books. And it was detailing uh, books like Pride and Prejudice, you know, which of the paragraphs, which of the sentences were most easily, or most, uh, most frequently downloaded. Because of course, when you're doing this, they all have access to the, the information. So once you highlight something in your e-reader, whoever has produced that e-reader has, uh, has that information. And, uh, and they were documenting it, Crime and Punishment, The Hunger Games, Harry Potter. And of course, one of the... Uh, the, uh, the topics that came up was what, what is the most highlighted passage of scripture in the Bible with the Amazon Kindle? Anybody want to take a guess? If you and I have talked about this already, you're, you're disqualified from this uh, for now. Anybody want to take a guess? What was the most highlighted? What is the most highlighted Bible passage uh, in the Amazon Kindle? Anyone want to take a guess? John 3.16, who else? Anybody else? Matthew 6, Proverbs 3. You're all wrong. The most highlighted passage of Scripture, Kindle, Amazon Kindle's most highlighted passage of Scripture is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. So as we start, why don't I read... And then we'll think just for a minute about why that might be the case. And then we're going to look at this text. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. <laughs> but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There you have it. Amazon Kindle's most highlighted Bible passage. What do you make of that? Do you think <laughs> anxiety is a problem for us? That was my takeaway. That was my takeaway. Now let's think about this together. Uh, Anxiety tends to breed other problems. It never stands alone. It always breeds other problems. Think for a minute about how many different sinful actions and attitudes come from anxiety, are birthed from anxiety. Think about anxiety about finances. What can that produce? It can give rise to coveting, greed, hoarding, 
Maybe stealing? What about anxiety uh, about succeeding at some task? Well, it can make you irritable, abrupt. How about anxiety uh, concerning relationships? It can make you withdrawn, maybe indifferent or uncaring about other people. Anxiety about how someone will respond to you can make you cover over the truth and lie about things. So just think for a moment about the family tree of anxiety. If anxiety could be conquered, a mortal blow would be struck to many other sins. So we're going to look at three things today from this passage in Philippians 4. We're going to look at what anxiety is, how to combat anxiety God's way, and the result of combating anxiety God's way. What anxiety is, how to combat anxiety God's way. Maybe that should be underlined, highlighted, God's way, and the result of combating anxiety God's way. What is anxiety, first of all? Now, there's a word group in the scriptures, fear, worry, anxiety. They're all in the same family. You've heard me say time and again that the most frequent command in the scripture is, do not be afraid. So in the scriptures, fear, worry, anxiety belong to the same family of words. The scriptures are, speak plentifully about that. So let's think about what anxiety is. And the way I want to go about this is to to hone in on three specific examples because I think that will help us drill down underneath it. I mean, when we say anxiety, we have an internal uneasiness, nervousness, deep concern, fret, but we don't often get past that. We don't get underneath that. So let's think about three specific examples. Um, Example number one, let's say you're late for work or you're late for an appointment or a job interview. What does the voice of anxiety sound like in that situation? If I'm late, I won't get the job. If I'm late, what will they think of me? If I'm late, I'm gonna be chewed out by the the boss. Hmm? You hear it? You're late for work, you're late for an appointment, you're late for a job interview. What is the voice of anxiety whispering to you in that moment? You're not going to get the job. What are they going to think of you? What are they going to say about you? What are they going to say to you? What about finances? What does the voice of anxiety sound like in that situation? Well, if I don't come up with the money, I'm going to have to sell my car. If I don't come up with the money, I'm going to have to sell my house. If I don't come up with the money, I won't be able to do, I won't be able to have, you fill in the blank. What about a common one, flying? What does the voice of anxiety sound like in that situation? How in the world does an object this big and heavy get off the ground and stay in the air? The pilots are probably playing Candy Crush on their phones up there. (laughs) We're all doomed. So when you work through these various scenarios, and you may have your own, anxiety is, underneath the surface of those things, there's something that I want. Something I want. 
But when I'm being honest with myself, I'm not sure I'm going to get what I want. I'm not sure I'm going to get what I want. Because I don't ultimately control the outcomes. I want to get the job. I want to be on time. But I'm not sure that's going to happen. I want to keep my car. I want to be able to pay my bills. I want to be able to send my kids to college. I want to keep my house. But I'm not sure that's going to happen. I want to get to my destination safely but I'm not sure if that's going to happen. There's something out there that you want, but you're not sure you're going to get it. And this leads to all sorts of physiological issues, right? Blood pressure, heart rate, uh, problems intestinally, all sorts of physiological problems are produced from this. Now, what do you think would be God's take on that? Let God speak into that. Brian, I know you're going to be late. In fact, I know that your lateness to this appointment will cause you to miss out on this job. I know that. But do you believe that I'm going to take care of you? Do you believe I'm going to take care of you? Do you believe that I know what I'm doing with your life? Why are you so internally uneasy, Brian? Do you trust me? We just sang about it. Do you trust me? See, underneath my anxiety is fundamentally a distrust in God. This is why the do not fear stuff comes out dozens and dozens and dozens of times in the scriptures. It's fundamentally a distrust. When we're anxious about something, we are saying to God, God, I'm trying to trust you with this, but I'm not all the way there. I'm trying to, but I'm not all the way there. When my daughter was two years old, I had an epic parent failure. Somehow she managed to get her hands on scissors And not the safety scissors that don't cut anything. I mean, the real scissors with the sharp points, the metal ones that actually cut stuff. Uh, Well, I mean, what do you do? What every parent does, they spring into action. You see your two-year-old running around with legit scissors. You spring into action. You sprint over there and you, you get it out of her hands before she falls and bad things happen. Well, you know how children will react to that. She didn't turn and say thank you for taking care of me. She threw a fit. She threw a fit. Why is she throwing a fit? Doesn't she understand that what I just did was save her life? No. Why? Because the gap in our cognitive abilities fosters the reaction. If she could see things from my perspective with my mind, she'd understand why I did what I did. But the developmental gap between me and a two-year-old is enormous. She's not able to process reality as it ought to be processed. Now think for a minute. What is the developmental gap between us and the infinite God? What's the developmental gap between us and the infinite God? I'll tell you what, that gap is a lot larger than it is between you and a two-year-old. 
And so if my two-year-old is struggling to process why I have allowed to happen what has happened or why I have burst into her life in this way to make, at least from her perspective, her life miserable, if I'm to try to unpack that for her, what, what's she going to say? I don't get it. I don't understand it. The developmental gap that exists between me and her is enormous. The developmental gap that exists between us and the infinite God, how are we ever going to be able to see why God does what he does? How are we ever going to be able to understand why God does what he does? Might it be that our reactions to our lives are often like that of a two-year-old trying to understand what his or her parent has done? It's anxiety in a way. Anxiety is we spiritual two-year-olds thinking we know how our life is supposed to go. But God's not going to get it right. My anxiety, and I have plenty of it, makes a statement to God. And it says, God, I know how my life is supposed to go. I know how it's supposed to go. I've written a script. I know how it's supposed to go but I'm not sure you're gonna cooperate with me. I'm not sure that you're gonna help me make this thing work the way I've written it out. That's anxiety. Second, how to combat anxiety God's way. Look at the text. Do not be anxious about, what's it say? Anything, some things, a few things, a lot of things, anything. But, what? In every situation. Every situation. It doesn't say in some situations. It doesn't say in some anxious moments. No, it says in every situation, pray. In every situation, pray. Combating anxiety, God's way begins with prayer. Just a quick uh, inventory on yourselves. Not, don't say this out loud. How good are you at this? The last anxious moment you had, did you immediately respond in prayer? Every anxious moment that's come your way this past week, has your knee flex reaction been to pray? It hasn't been for me. Has it been for you to pray in every situation? It doesn't say uh, in your anxious moments, drive faster so you won't be late for work or that appointment. If you're a nervous flyer, just knock on the cockpit door and ask to, to fly the plane yourself. Maybe that'll calm you down. Paul doesn't say if you're anxious, just exert more control over the situation and you'll relax. No. Paul says if you're going to combat anxiety, pray. And that makes sense. Why? Because when you're worried... <laughs> On whom are you concentrating? If I'm running late for work or the appointment or the job interview, on, in that moment, on whom am I concentrating? I'm concentrating on myself. If I'm late, what will they think of me? If I'm late, who's not going to get the job? Me. If I'm late, I'll miss out on something. It's self-concentration. If you're in a financial bind, on whom are you concentrating? If the money doesn't come in, I won't be able to pay the rent. I won't be able to buy the Christmas gifts. I'll have to sell my car and use public transportation. I won't be able to retire when I want to. I won't be able to give my kids tuition money for college. I'm concentrating on myself. 
If I'm a nervous flyer, on whom am I concentrating? Me, if the plane goes down, I'll die. The question is, in all of this, what about all the others? What about all the others? We're prone to worry. We're a bit too preoccupied with ourselves. (laughs) That's the essence of sin, right? Sin flips the order of things around. We were meant to live in a God-centric world where everything is funneling towards him. Everything goes to him. Everything goes to him. But sin flips everything around and now everything goes to me, to me, to me. This is why Paul says overcoming anxiety begins with prayer because when you pray, what happens? You're forced to think about someone other than yourself because in prayer, Lord willing, you're addressing God. Now you're introducing him into your stuff. You're forced to at least introduce God into your problems. By praying, you bring God into your anxiety and at least give him an opportunity to speak into it. But notice in the text, it's not just prayer. It's prayer rooted in thanksgiving. Prayer prayed with thanksgiving. This is, this is mind-blowing. If there are circumstances in my life causing me anxiety, <laughs> why would I be able to pray with thanksgiving? This doesn't make any sense. Unless what I'm thankful for is independent of my situation. Yes, I am praying with thanksgiving in the middle of my anxious moment. How in the world am I able to do that? Unless what I'm thankful for, what my thanksgiving is rooted in, is independent of my circumstances. The thanksgiving doesn't come after God answers my request the way I would like them uh, answered. No, the thanksgiving comes while I'm still in the middle of the stuff causing me anxiety. How is that possible? Well, the stuff I'm thankful for must be different than having my anxiety causing circumstances change. So what is that? What is this thanksgiving? What, what, is this, what am I thankful? I'm thankful for what? Think through those examples again. I'm running late, so I'm anxious. I'm gonna miss my appointment. Uh, I'm gonna miss out on this job. So I combat this by praying with thanksgiving. But thankful for what? God, thank you I'm late. Thank you I'm going to inconvenience these people. Thank you they will probably look down their noses at me for being inconsiderate of their time. Not likely. More likely, God, even though I'm going to get the disapproval and the rejection of these people for being late, I'm thankful that you will not reject me on account of this. Thank you that in spite of this, I still have your approval. Maybe you're anxious over finances. What does prayer root and thanksgiving look like in the middle of that? God, thank you I'm broke. Thank you I'm gonna get booted out of my house. Probably not. More likely, God, even though I may lose my earthly home, I know my wonderful and superior heavenly home can never be taken from me. Maybe you're an anxious flyer. What does prayer rooted in thanksgiving look like? God, thank you that though my body may perish on this flight, 
I don't need to be afraid of that because I belong to you. I know that because of what you have done, that to die is to be more alive than I've ever been before. Why are all these people able to pray with thanksgiving while they're in the middle of anxious moments? Why are they able to pray with thanksgiving while in the middle of anxious moments? What did they all have in common? They look out beyond their circumstances to the infinite blessings that can never be taken from them because of what Christ has done. I may lose the approval of people, but I'll never lose the approval of my heavenly father. I may lose my earthly home, but I'll never lose my heavenly home. I may lose my life in this world, but an even better life awaits me in the world to come. They're looking out beyond the immediate. They're setting their gaze on the infinite, the infinite blessings that are yours in Christ. Picture it this way. Imagine going on a hike through the forest and getting lost. What was supposed to be a two-hour, casual, easy journey through the woods has turned into an eight-hour ordeal. You feel like you're going in circles as you try to get yourself out of this, so you try a a change in tactics. Instead of continuing to hike, hike, you stop, you you find the tallest climbable tree you can find, and you start climbing until you can see over the canopy of the forest. Once you get up 50 feet or so, your perspective changes. You spot a dirt road in the distance sign of civilization. You climb back down and you head out. What did you need? (laughs) What you needed was to get above the chaos in front of you. You needed to be able to see further out. You needed to see the same terrain from a different perspective. This is what praying with thanksgiving does. Praying with thanksgiving in the middle of anxious moments is like climbing a tree to get above the chaos in front of you. Praying with thanksgiving in the middle of anxious moments means intentionally climbing a tree to see your world differently. Once you climb back down that tree, you start heading for that dirt road, what are you gonna be thinking to yourself? You're gonna think, why didn't I do this sooner? I wasted all this time and energy when I could have done that right away in every situation, in every situation. You're gonna think to yourself, wow, now that I've seen the terrain, now that I've seen the bigger picture, the chaos in front of me doesn't seem so bad. After seeing the big picture, what's in front of me seems less scary. Praying with thanksgiving in the middle of anxious moments can help take the anxiety out of anxious moments so they become just regular moments. Combating anxiety God's way means climbing a tree, praying with thanksgiving for the infinite blessings that are yours in Christ. Third, the result of combating anxiety God's way, that's in verse seven. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
This is the result of it. In the middle of anxious moments, praying with thanksgiving creates this. God gives you a peace that will protect your heart and mind from attack. This word for guard, it's a vivid military term used to describe a detachment of soldiers who stand guard over a city and protect it from attack. God's peace is like a detachment of well-trained soldiers who stand guard over your heart and mind, your inner life. So when you're in the middle of an anxious moment and you combat that by thanking God for the infinite blessings that are yours in Christ, your heart and mind are being protected from being plundered by anxieties attacking enemies. What a vivid image. It's a detachment of soldiers who stand guard over your inner life. God deploys a peace army to protect you. Now when does this happen? (laughs) While you're still in the thick of it. Notice it doesn't say you'll have inner peace after the situation resolves itself the way you wish it to resolve itself. That's not what it says. It says you'll have peace while you're still in the middle of it. This is why, by the way, Paul uses this phrase, transcends all understanding. (laughs) This is why this peace transcends all understanding. It's possible to have a deep inner peace in the middle of anxious moments. That transcends all understanding. Now, the average person out there is gonna say, well, I can have peace, that's no problem. I can have peace once I know this situation works out the way I want it to. Then I'll have peace. But Christians should be able to say, no, I can have peace right now, even while the situation is still up in the air. How? Combating anxiety through thankful prayer. The result of combating anxiety God's way through thankful prayer is inner peace, even when you're in the middle of it. Now, there's very, something very interesting about these verses. Paul wrote Philippians to a church in a town called Philippi which is in modern day Greece, just a few years before writing this, um, he and his colleague Silas were in Philippi communicating the gospel to the people there. Let me read for you what they experienced there. Just listen. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailers commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. (laughs) Now, would you be able to do that? You're going to be able to pray 
and sing songs of praise to God after being stripped naked, beaten with rods, and flogged, having your feet put in stocks. Paul is doing what he tells the Philippians to do years later when they find themselves in anxious moments. He's speaking from experience that it's possible to have a deep inner peace in the middle of anxious moments by offering thankful prayer to God. When you combat anxiety by going to God in prayer, thanking him for the infinite blessings that he's given you, he deploys a peace army to stand guard over your heart and mind, to protect your inner life. Jonathan Edwards was one of America's greatest um, Christian preachers and thinkers. He lived from 1703 to 1758. His dates overlap with George Washington, just to give you some context. When Edwards was just 18 years old, he preached his first sermon. It's titled, Christian Happiness. It's all about why Christians should be happy. The three main points he made in that sermon, help us climb a tree to see above the chaos in front of us. Here were his three points. He says, Christians shouldn't worry because our bad things will turn out for good. Our good things can never be taken away from us. And the best things are yet to come. Christians shouldn't worry. They shouldn't be fearful because our bad things will turn out for good. Our good things can never be taken away from us. And the best things are yet to come. That's climbing a tree. Let's pray. Loving God, these are your words. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present our requests to you. And your peace will guard our hearts. These are your words. We do believe. But God, help our unbelief. I pray we would be quick to pray. The moment we feel the slightest twinge of anxiety, we would turn to you in prayer. Quick to remember the spiritual blessings you've lavishly poured out on us. I pray you would recall those spiritual blessings to our minds to help us climb a tree and see the terrain differently. As we remind ourselves that our bad things will turn out for good, that our good things can never be taken away from us and the best things are yet to come, I pray that you would send your legions to guard our inner lives. We ask these things through Christ. Amen.